Welcome again to Fellowship of Grace. We're going to continue on in our series that we started last week on Easter Sunday called This is Love. For those of you who may not know, my name is Derek. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I'm excited to kind of dive into this with you this morning. Obviously, some of that video there, kind of the intro video, kind of spoils the whole sermon. I mean, preach the sermon for me as we talk about love that conquers death. And plus, all those songs we just sang was all all about God's love conquering death. Death can't hold us anymore. So so even though you know the ending, and we just sang about it and stuff, I I want you to stick with me over these next few minutes, and and let's kind of explore a little bit deeper about this, okay? So as I was studying and kind of getting prepared for this sermon this week, Love That Conquers Death, I I spent some time looking around on the internet uh, about death. And I would not recommend that for really anybody. It was pretty depressing, pretty depressing. But I did find some kind of weird ways that people have figured out just how to get killed, how to die. You know, I mean, humanity, we're, we're just kind of strange sometimes. But one of them was uh, a guy named Heinz Stein, or Hans Steininger, who at one point, I don't know when this was exactly, but I know it's true because it was on the internet. <laughs> He, he had the world's longest beard, or he claimed to have the world's longest beard. It was like five feet long, right down to the ground or something. And I guess one, one night, when he, a fire erupted in his house. As he was trying to escape, he tripped over his beard and broke his neck, was unable to escape, and, and died. So he, he was killed by his, his beard. Kind of strange, huh? All right, uh, another, another weird thing. I know, you're like, should I laugh at that? Or, I don't know. You don't, don't need to laugh, just, just stating that they're weird. A French coffin builder, so a guy that builds coffins, obviously for dead people, caskets, whatever. He was working in a shop, and I guess a stack of coffins actually fell on him, killed him while he was working, and then they ended up burying him in one of those same coffins for his funeral. Kind of ironic and weird. A Toronto lawyer was actually showing a group of visitors around his office on the 24th story of the building, and I guess one of the I don't know, one of the claims to fame of the building was their unbreakable glass in the windows. So he went up and was going to try to prove it. And when he did, to lean up against it or jump into it or whatever, the glass shattered and he fell to his, his death. And last one, I mean, there's a bunch of other weird ones, but believe me, you don't, you don't want to hear about those. Uh, this was an American sea captain named John Kendrick. A couple hundred years ago, I guess, at his retirement party or uh, after a battle that they had won and a salute to him, they shot off a cannonball. But the cannonball actually hit him and killed him in his loop. So I guess he kind of went out with a bang. I know, I know, I know. It was, it was bad. It's, I know, I had to sneak one of the Pastor Michael jokes in there to make you all feel, make you feel comfortable. Julie said it first, so. Um, so if we're honest, okay, the, the topic of death really isn't a laughing matter, is it? I mean, we, we know, we, we've all experienced death at some point, whether it's someone close to us, someone we know about. We, this is something we, we kind of face in this life. The fear of all fears is, really can be described and wrapped up in death. Sociologists have observed that just about every society has its own form of kind of immortality symbols. This, you know, this idea, this concept of how do, we, how do we live forever? How do we live beyond this life? You think of the pharaohs in Egypt and the, and the pyramids and, and being buried among the gods, they thought, to prolong their, their lives and immortality. Uh, for, for us today in, in our culture, we, we think of kind of leaving a legacy beyond our, our own physical life and, you know, 
how many resources can we accumulate so that we can pass them on down and, and help the, the future generations leave our mark. And, and those are motivations and things aren't necessarily evil. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we do spend a lot of this life trying to avoid death, trying to minimize it, trying to look younger. We, prolong, we try to prolong life as much as we can. We try to, but at the same time, we're, we're trying to push death as far out of our minds as possible. You know, if there's one word that describes kind of the, our misery as a human race, it's, it's death. Something we all experience as it hangs over us like a, like a dark cloud. It really is, in some ways, it's been said, our greatest tragedy is death. The greatest human experience is death. And is that really all it is? Is that really what, what the Bible talks about? Uh, well, I think, really, we have to understand kind of the biblical definition of death really is, is simply a separation, okay? So it's a separation in a few different ways. It's a dividing of things that ought to be united together. All right, so we have physical death, which is the separation of the soul from, our, from the body. That's physical death. And then we have spiritual death, which is the separation of the soul from God. I mean, both of those things are, are kind of what death is. It's a separation, God made us as humans to be souls that are embodied and bodies that are to be ensouled, in a sense. Death rips this union apart. And we know that death is the consequence of sin. Death is the direct consequence of sin. Back in Genesis, at the very beginning, when God is talking, he's created Adam and Eve, setting them up in the garden to live, and then he says, if you eat of this tree, if you disobey me, you will surely die. So we see the sin in in death go hand in hand there. Romans 6.23 talks about the wages of sin being death. So we see that sin earns death. And then in James chapter 1, it talks about how sin over time gives birth to death. They go hand in hand. And that, that's probably this, this tension that we feel when we talk about death, when we think about it. Like We just feel like it's not supposed to be here. Like there's just something not right about it, right? Even though it's as normal as giving birth, it's, I mean, it happens all the time. There's still something in our, in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts that knows that it's not supposed to be here. And that's because it's not. Death, like sin, doesn't belong here. And while it's not fun to talk about it, uh, we must realize that death is something we don't have to fear. It's not something we need to fear. It's through God's love that he showed us on, in Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection, that death was conquered. Death was defeated. And so this morning, for these next few minutes, I want us to just spend some time basically looking at the resurrection of Christ and see, okay, how, how does the res- resurrection of Jesus really conquer death for all of us? What does that mean for us today? Um, have a greater understanding of God's love for us and how, how he showed that through the death and resurrection of Christ. And we're going to do that by looking at a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, so if you have your Bibles or you have your Fall KC app, um, you can get to the notes through that as well. But we're going to look at this chapter, just a, seven verses, verses 20 through 26 in a moment. The whole chapter is like 50-something verses long. It's really uh, all about the resurrection, sometimes called the resurrection chapter. A lot of um, teaching from Paul to the church at Corinth about what the resurrection is. That church there was going through some just some goofy stuff, people denying that resurrection could happen. So Paul's telling them, you know, if the resurrection can happen and Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we've got problems because 
that affects a lot of things. That, that changes everything. And so he's getting to this point where he says, basically, the resurrection is the most important thing for our faith as believers. Without the resurrection, we have no hope over death and sin. There's no salvation. And so he gets to this point, and then he's about to jump in uh, to 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Um, but before I start reading that, I just want to pray for us that God would open our hearts as we read God's word and study it just for a few minutes. Uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and are just grateful for the privilege we have to open your word and to study it together. Um, pray that you would just remove distractions from our minds for these next, this next half hour or so. God, that you would just help us to be challenged, encouraged, and that you would speak to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so starting in verse 20 of chapter 15, it says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. All right, so we see here the first thing that Paul talks about in these verses is this. It's that the resurrection happened. He, he was sure of this as he was sure of anything in his life. He had no doubts. He had no doubts. He believed this. We, we see even a few verses prior, um, starting in verse 3, it says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to also all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. All right, so we see here Paul explaining to this church, listen, the resurrection happened. He, Jesus was alive. He appeared to a bunch of people. Some of these church members, some of them could go talk to those people that saw Jesus. So he's giving them some evidence of this and really challenging them to believe it. So I want us to just think a moment. So for us today, how, how, do we, how should we think about the resurrection? Should we just believe it blindly? Yeah, probably, probably happened. I would challenge us to think critically about this at sometimes. I know for some of you, like myself, I was raised in the church, and it's something that I kind of was, it was ingrained in me from the very beginning. And as I got older, I could think a little bit more about, okay, like, look at the facts, look at some of the evidence of the resurrection. And certainly there's a piece of faith that will go, goes into this and in believing something, an event that happened 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. But for a moment, I want us to just look at three truths, three facts about the resurrection because there's this kind of uh, method for determining if, if a historical event happened or not called the inference to the best explanation. I know those kind of weird words. Inference to the best explanation, which basically just takes a look at the evidence and says, okay, if this evidence, which seems to be true, okay, what's the best possible explanation for this? So when we apply this to the resurrection, we'll see three truths are this. One of them is just this. The tomb was found empty. The tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on the Sunday following the crucifixion. Now, there's a lot of things we could go into here and spend a whole day kind of going through a seminar on the resurrection. Uh, we're not going to do that. But 
even just this point here, the best explanation, no, nobody can deny this. Even the Jews, the people that wanted Jesus dead, they, they couldn't say that, oh, no, the tomb's empty, his body's over there. They couldn't point to where Jesus' body was. They couldn't, you know, after a few years, they, we have no record today of really where the tomb that Jesus was buried for three days is. And that, that's partly because he didn't stay there very long. They didn't build, have time to build a shrine and, you know, kind of immortalize him that way. It's because he, he did, God only borrowed it for three days, as we sang about. All right, another fact that really is explained best by the resurrection is this that Jesus' disciples had real experiences with one whom they believed was the risen Christ. All right, and you know, people will say, well, they were hallucinating or they were lying, all those things, but really, that, that, those things don't make any more sense than, you know, for somebody who doesn't believe than a resurrection because of the, the experiences they had. They, they got to touch Jesus. They got to eat with him and hallucinations, group hallucinations like that just are, you know, just don't happen. Um, they were all killed for their faith later, so they went to their graves believing that they had seen the risen Christ, which is another good explanation, good evidence for the resurrection. And then another fact we see here is, is this, that as a result of the preaching of these disciples, which had the resurrection at its center, the Christian church was established and grew. All right, so we see here another, there's not really any good arguments against this. This is a fact that, that happened, and if... Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and all his apostles and disciples preached this and God's power was behind it, the Holy Spirit, like this makes sense that, that this would take place. So you can kind of look at these individually or as a group, we see some evidence for the resurrection. And we're not trying to like prove it to you, facts, facts. There, there's some faith that has to go into this, obviously. But you can be a reasonably, you know, thinking person, logically thinking person, and see that some evidence points to the real physical resurrection of Jesus. All right, so as we continue on and just looking through this passage in verse 20, we see that Paul talks about Christ has been raised from the dead. And just want to spend a moment on this. This language I think is important because sometimes we get the idea in our head that Jesus was some sort of Superman, like ripped off his linens and ran out of the you know, grave and, and defeated death that way. But really, the Bible mostly talks about God raising Jesus from the dead. And this is important because it showed that God accepted Jesus' payment on the cross. All right, and back in the Old Testament, and they would, certain times of year, I think once a year, the high priest would go in with, with the sacrifice, with the offerings, and it was kind of shown to be approved by God if the high priest came out alive. And that's kind of basically what happened with Jesus. As he came out of the tomb, it was kind of the validation that that death on the cross was the sacrifice uh, to pay for our sins. Acts 5.30, and there's many other verses that talk about this, but it says this, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. So here we see that God raised Jesus from the dead. And God as the Trinity, there's other verses that talk about the Spirit kind of raising Jesus, or God God as Jesus, the Son, God as God the Father. starts to get into that Trinity stuff that gets a little murky that I I can't fully explain and can't wrap my head around completely. Um, So can't help you there but it's true it's true all right let's keep on going we got the it says the first fruits 
So God has uh, raised Christ from the dead. Now, Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This idea of first fruits is this idea that kind of symbolic of the rest of the harvest that is about to come. All right, so we see already this, this kind of inference, this basically leaning towards there's something else coming. There's something else coming. Some more resurrections are about to take place. And we see that of those who have fallen asleep, which is how the Bible refers to death for believers. Those who have fallen asleep, kind of a temporary state that they are in. All right, so what, so what do we do with this? So the resurrection has happened. We see in these verses, I think the big kind of application so what is we believe in Jesus. If the resurrection really took place, we should believe God is who he says he is, Jesus is who he says he is, and, and believe in him. Through Christ's death and resurrection, we can have and experience eternal life. And um, I know in even a room this size, um, there may be some of you that are struggling with believing in Jesus. Really, not just believing that he was a man, but really trusting him as your Lord and Savior putting your faith and trust in him. And I would encourage you, if that's you, if you're, you're struggling with that, um, if you have questions, feel free to, to just check a box on the back of your connection card, um, fill it out on your app, email one of the pastors, talk to a friend that invited you, um, have those conversations because really believing in Jesus, that, that's the most important thing. I mean, the rest of this sermon, the rest of all the things we talk about, experiencing victory over sin and death, believing in Jesus is the starting point. All right, in the next few verses, we see that Jesus' resurrection wasn't just about him. It actually affected a lot of other people. Um, the whole world, actually. Believers share in Christ's resurrection experience. Verses 21 through 23 say this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So here we see this idea, kind of by divine appointment, Adam is representative of the whole human race in regards to sin. But on the flip side now, Christ is representative of those who believe in him via the resurrection. Okay? So this idea is in other places. One verse, Romans 5.12, says it very specifically. Here says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So, I, I mean, I, there's, you know, really the best way to think of it, I was trying to think of a good illustration to help us, you know, but really the illustration here is Christ and, and Adam. Uh, but in, in any person you think of, like a leader or an athlete that has a lot of influence over people, that their actions don't just affect them, and really all of us have influence over somebody to some extent. But in this case, God kind of appointed Adam to represent humanity. So when Adam sinned and Adam fell, now we all are affected by, by that sin. But thankfully, God didn't leave it that way. He brought Christ along and sent his son to die for us. And now we can kind of share in that on the flip side, in life, in resurrection, and not death and sin. We need to be careful in these, this passage, though, to to understand that this isn't teaching universalism. This isn't teaching that all, because it says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He specifies that at the, in verse 23 and clarifies what that all is. All right, so it doesn't mean every, every human because they're now sinners. Now everybody is saved, but it's those who belong to Christ. 
We also see that in each his own order, uh, it starts to talk about kind of point to the second coming of Christ, which we don't have time to kind of get into and explain in detail, but he talks about Christ being the first fruits of, of raising from the dead. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is the harvest of believers that will receive new glorified bodies at some point in the future um, that we can look forward to. All right, and when we talk about this idea of being made alive, you see in that passage, shall all be made alive. You know, we sing a lot about that, even though Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive in me. What, is it, what does that mean? What, what does that really look like for us? How does that affect us on, on a daily basis today? I think one, one way to think about it, there's certainly a, a lot of things we could talk about in regards to that. But one thing is if we are, if we're truly alive in Christ, then that means the opposite is true, that we are dead to sin. We are dead to sin. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't really feel, I don't like feel dead to sin. I wish I did, you know, I wish I did. And, and that's because we still live in this little bit of tension where death has been defeated, but it hasn't been ultimately destroyed yet. Where, where sin has been defeated, but it's still trying to have its little last hurrah even though it's a, it's a wounded animal and it, it, its demise is coming, all right? So we, we still experience some of that, that sin in our lives, but I, th- I think the way to kind of battle sin and, and, and defeat sin on a daily basis in our lives is not to just try harder not to sin. I'm just, well, just going to grit my teeth and, and not, not do bad things, or I'm going to try to do good things. But it really is, it, it starts with embracing our identity in Christ, that we are alive in Christ, so since we share in Christ's resurrection experience, the so what is we need to embrace our, that identity. We need to embrace it. That can power, the power of the Spirit of God can come through realizing and, and, and just embracing our identity. That we, we, don't have, we don't have to submit to death. It has no, no hold on us, no sin in our lives. It doesn't have any weight that, that it, can, it can capture us anymore. And we shouldn't let it. All right, so we need to embrace our identity. The last few verses in this passage, verses 24 through 26, we actually see the ultimate result of God's love through Christ's death resurrection. It, they culminate in that death is defeated. All right, death is defeated. Ultimately, it's destroyed. We see that in verses 24 through 26 which states, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the, God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. All right, so we see it's kind of some end times language here, talking about how, how God the Father is going to come. Um, Jesus is going to deliver the rest of the harvest, which is the kingdom believers, basically give God the Father believers, but only after destroying every rule, every authority and power. He's going to reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. This is this idea of kind of a conquering king. It's talked about in the Old Testament too, and kind of the line of David, and ultimately, which is fulfilled in Christ. But this idea of, of as a king conquers territories, people, and he kind of puts them under his feet as a footstool. This, this is that same idea communicated here. And then we see where he finishes up. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Christ, at his coming back, his second coming at some point in the future, 
the dead in Christ will rise, and then at that time, death will, will be no longer. Spiritual death and, and physical death. And, and I think it's important for us to think for a moment, what is so significant about death, both physical and spiritual, this separation? What, what is so significant about it, and especially in relation to the resurrection? Uh, pastor Sam Albury, uh, who's a pastor in the UK, uh, he states this, and I think it's helpful for us as we think about this. He says, as we grasp the significance of death, we can start to see the significance of resurrection. Raising Jesus from the dead was not an arbitrary stunt by God the Father. It wasn't just a mega miracle to prove that he was still there and he was still bigger, though that is true. No, the resurrection has meaning. The resurrection is the outworking and proof of our salvation because death is the outworking and proof of our sin. Jesus' new life shows us the cycle of sin and death has finally been broken. There is new life to be had, and sin has been conquered. All right, so, and, and along that, death has been conquered. All right, so if we think about death being conquered, I think, you know, that, that helps, that, that can be helpful to re- kind of start to wrap our minds around, okay, I don't have to be afraid of death, I, but there's a lot of other scary things in life too, right? Kind of a lot of other bad things that happen, and those things kind of cause me some, some problems at times, right? Well, I, I think a good way to kind of illustrate um, this next, this kind of final point I want to get across is that our, our community group, um, we have this icebreaker kind of activity that we play. We've been playing a lot lately. It's this bracket that we put up, and we call it like what's the best or something, and we pick a topic like Christmas or springtime, and we just think of all the best things about this topic, and we put them in a bracket, okay? And so we put them in a bracket, like a March Madness bracket, and so they're matched up in kind of a random order about who's going to, you know, we would take a vote for each matchup, so they kind of play against each other, each idea that somebody volunteers and comes up with, then by majority vote, they keep advancing through the rounds, all right? So I want to do that with you very quickly, and except not what's the best, but what's the worst? What's what's the worst? Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this. What's the worst? So I put up some bad things to just get us started because I figured like taking things from the crowd would probably take too long, and you guys want to get to lunch here in a minute. So I went ahead and just plugged some things in here that that are bad. Okay, so some of them are from the the passage that we talked about, like evil rulers, evil powers. Um, but the, we I put them up against some other things that I know that are pretty much general consensus we all dislike, that are evil. So you see Oakland Raiders definitely made, made the list, although it, it, did, it was kind of a 16 seed because it went against the one seed death. So we'll, 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 we'll see about that. All right, so let's play this out a little bit. We see some people advance to our elite, our evil eight. We, as we kind of dial down into, okay, so sickness. I mean, slow Wi-Fi is, is still going strong. And we keep on moving, but obviously you see death. Death keeps on advancing. It's basically conquering everything in its path. And then we, we got to our final four. We keep on moving. So oh, death and taxes, somehow they just go together, I guess. So death is the winner, or, or probably more appropriately, the loser. And this, what we have to realize, and this is just a kind of a silly way to, to show us, that because death has been defeated, everything else in our life has been overcome by God as well. Even slow Wi-Fi. Like, even the, you know, the, even bad traffic. Even, the, even the, the real hard things in life. Sickness. 
and death of loved ones, all, all these other things have been defeated. I think it's, um, you know, kind of interesting for us that we can now live without fear. We can now live without fear because of that. Because death, if it's the worst, it's the worst of the worst, we can now live without fear because of what God has done. And really, you know, I should have showed kind of a, a winner's bracket in a sense because that was all those things that were up there. Now that was just a loser's bracket playing for worst. But in the winner's bracket, obviously the resurrection has defeated God in Jesus through the resurrection has defeated everything else and that just squashes death. Um, doesn't, doesn't, in that sense, doesn't even get to play against death because it's, it's on a completely different level. You know, we sing songs, as I mentioned earlier, that, that say things like, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, fear, where is your power? Our God has robbed the grave. Death has lost its grip on me. Death was arrested. These ideas that we talk about, I, I, I hope when you sing them, when, when we say them and when you hear them, that you, you think about kind of all that those words mean. All that those words mean, the, the victory that we can now share in um, with Christ, that we can truly live without fear. I'm afraid many of us who, who profess Christ, and I know this is true of me at times, that, that we, we live too much consumed by fear. We, we, live, we live fearful of things that we just really have no need to be fearful of. I mean, it doesn't mean that we, we go through life just with a casual, flippant kind of attitude, like, ah, you know, I just got bad news from the doctor, but yeah, it doesn't matter because Jesus won, and yeah, everything's happy-go-lucky kind of thing. No, we, we, still, we still grieve, but we grieve differently. We grieve, we grieve with, with some hope that kind of underlines that, which makes all the difference in the world. We, we can have joy and peace in the middle of, of times where, it just stinks when, when life just comes at you from every side. And we can live with a hope and a courage when, when God is calling us to do something and we're a little fearful of taking that step of, uh, of faith, taking a little, maybe it's a little risky. Maybe it's talking to somebody we, we know we should talk to and have a conversation with uh, just about a hard topic or to share the gospel with them. God has overcome death and he can help us overcome those, those fears. So I, I want you to think as we close today, just, just about something that you're afraid of. Think, just have, have that thought in your mind, something that you're afraid of. And then I want you to, to just be reminded that Jesus has conquered the grave. That nothing else can stand against him and that you can be on his side. You can, you can be on the winning team in a sense when you're with Jesus. So as you think about, about that, that fear you may have, like I said, it, it could be, maybe it's just a worry of something that does, hasn't even happened yet. But you're, you're thinking about the, what the possibilities could be and how, how it could all play out and you're playing it all on your mind and, and it's just, it's, you don't see it ending well. Or, or it's another situation where um, just a difficult work thing where, where a project or something or, or you're at risk to lose your job and you're not sure what's going to happen financially, financial stresses. I want you to think about, about that fear as we read these last few verses and close today because I, I think when you place 
some of the verses, some of these things we've sung about today, the things we've talked about. I'm hoping and praying that it will encourage you, that, that it will encourage you to cast those fears aside and not let them run your life, not let that worry and anxiety consume you because of the victory that you can now share in Christ. So let, let's, uh, let me read these for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. It says this, No, but in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope you believe that because it's true. Because it's true. Father, we come to you this morning and are grateful for your word and the encouragement in it. And God, I pray that you will forgive us when we forget, when we forget these things. God, we uh, sometimes get so distracted. We're so distracted in life with a with hundred different things going a hundred different directions. And we just let fear and worry consume us. But God, I pray that you would help us first and foremost, believe in Jesus. Believe in your son and what he did on the cross and what he did out of the grave in coming and being resurrected. God, help us to embrace our identity, to know that we truly are, that we can be resurrected and that you are resurrecting us as the resurrected king. God, and then let us live without fear. I pray that you will help us to just grasp in a greater way the love of Christ and what that means, your love shown to us. God, when we have experienced and really embraced that love, God, we, we, we know that it's life-changing. It will change the way we live each and every day. And God, I thank you for the hope, the peace, and the courage that is found in you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.